The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the seventh consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress throughout the 2017 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Well, it's another disappointing end to a season that was filled with so much promise and so much anticipation as the Cleveland Indians headed into the American League Divisional Series against the New York Yankees. And unfortunately, up to nothing, they ended up losing the ball game uh, series in three straight games to the Yankees. And the Yankees now are taking on the Houston Astros. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell, along with Mark Donahue, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. This is the final edition for the 2017 season, Mark and I's seventh consecutive year of sitting back with you and talking weekly about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And Mark, I guess as we head down south to talk to you, our resident Reds expert for the final time this season, we'll talk about the Reds coming up here in about five minutes. But as far as the Indians are concerned, boy, they just cannot put away a team when they've got them on the ropes, can they? Yeah, and we talked about this day before the season. You have my sympathies, by the way, and as uh, all you Indian fans. Uh, but you can't take your eye off the the concept that this is really two seasons in Major League Baseball. Uh, the Cleveland Indians, notwithstanding the fact they will not win the World Championship this year, I think without question they are the best team in baseball. And if you played out 162 games, they could play any team in baseball, including the Dodgers, and I think the Dodgers are going to win the World Series. But they could play the Dodgers 162 games, and I think they would win more games than the Dodgers. I think the Indians are that good. So we talked before the playoffs began that it's a new season, and anything can happen in five games, anything. And what happened was that the unexpected happened with the Indians. They forgot how to hit. Now, they, they face some great pitching against the, the Yankees. The Yankees pitching staff is way underrated, in my opinion. Uh, but we kind of called it, you know, that that any team can be beat in a, in a, in a three, five-game series, or seven-game series, for that matter. By any, I mean, the, a, a first-place team can play a last-place team and lose three out of five, or two out of three, or four out of seven. I mean, it, it happens. That does not take away... From the fact that the Indians organization ought to be very proud of what they have built. And Indian fans have a lot to look forward to. They may not win a World Series over the next two or three years. It happens. But you've got some great baseball ahead of you. And a lot of excitement is going to be experienced by, by Indian fans. And uh, so <laughs> I'd much rather be disappointed my team didn't go further in the playoffs than to have my team out of the playoffs by May 15th. And that's basically what happened with the Reds this year. Mark, I mean, I know it's a it's an old yeah. axiom and it, it's easy to say, but when you don't hit the ball, when you don't score runs, it doesn't matter how good your pitching is. The best you can do is tie a team, nothing, nothing. You've got to score runs in order to win a baseball game, and the Indians didn't do that. Yeah, and I was, the thing that, that surprised me and don't forget, you know, obviously your team won two games to start off, so there wasn't any reason to change. But, you know, you're so used to hitting three-run home runs that you forget how to play small ball. And I think in that one-to-nothing loss, they had a chance to, to kind of play the small ball uh, game. They didn't do it. They got beat one-to-nothing. And then uh, even in the last game, I thought they could have played for one run uh, a couple times and, and, and you know, gotten – that game closer um, on numerous occasions. But, you know, in defense of that kind of decision-making, they played great all year. And for the first time, I, I, I think I heard they had not lost three games in a row since June. Yeah. And and they picked that time to lose three games in a row. I mean, it's it's really – and we, we talked about that 
we said, have they, you know, were they won 22 games in a row? Have they peaked too soon? Are they, do you get complacent psychologically that, you know, all we have to do, and then especially go out there and win the first two games of the series. I mean, nothing's changed, guys. Hey, we're still, you know, we're cruising here. D.D. Gregorius, boy, he really put the hammer down on the Indians in that series. Yeah, obviously a former Cincinnati Red. Uh, <laughs> yep. And so is the guy who hit the three-run home run for the Dodgers last night. Uh, what's his name, the red-haired guy? Um, his name escapes me now. For the Dodgers who uh, oh, the won th- the game. Oh, the, the th- Turner, the third baseman. Yeah, Turner, yeah, the Reds had him too. Uh, <laughs> they traded him. Anyway... Notwithstanding that, uh, you know, there's some, there's some great young talent uh, around and DD is going to be around for a long time. And, uh, you know, don't forget who he replaced at shortstop, you know, Derek Jeter. Yeah. So I think the, the Indians or the Yankees are in pretty good shape as it relates to that team. And I, I think if you look at, at the lineups, this, this Yankees team, uh, it, it, they're going to be around for a while. They got a lot of young, young talent, and I mean superstar talent. Uh, Judge, among others, I mean, this guy is a rookie, hits 52 home runs. Are you kidding me? Uh, and playing in that ballpark, he's going to be a legend in, in that city within two or three years. And if the Indians are going to face problems, it could be with the Indians for, uh, you know, a number of years to come. Joe Girardi. I, you know, there was a lot of talk during the series, Mark, especially after Game 2, where he did not uh, challenge one of the plays, a foul tip from Chisholm Hall that led to the grand slam for Francisco Lindor, and then Jay Bruce ties it up in the eighth inning in that crucial second game. You know, they were they were ready to crucify Joe Girardi after that second game. They were ready to get rid of him, get him out of New York, whatever it was that they – they just wanted to get rid of the guy. But I'll tell you one thing, he stayed the course, he stuck to his principles, and he ended up directing that team to three straight wins. Now, whether he he had a lot to do with it or not, doesn't make a difference, Mark. I'll tell you one thing, he showed a lot of character in what was going on in New York during that period. Yeah, he did, and he's he's going to be around for a while. I mean, the, the, the rumor I think makes the most sense about him is going to uh, the Mets, that he could, he could move over... Uh, across the street, basically, and take on the Mets, who really need a manager, and and take that team uh, to to a World Series because they have a lot of of great talent too. They, you know, the pitching staff was decimated this year, but but aside from that, that team can be around. So there's there's going to be a home for Joe Girardi for a long time, and I think the New York press, especially Yankees, I mean they, they're all over the Yankees all the time. But uh, that guy is going to be in baseball for a long time. You know, he's a relatively young guy. Yeah, he's he not that old. And, you know, you're talking about a potential Hall of Fame manager there. And he, he's, he's that good. Yeah. Mark, let me transition over into the Reds by asking you this. Would you take Joe Girardi right now as manager of the Reds today? Oh, yeah, of course I would. And, and it's not because they're going to do anything with, with their current manager. It's just that Joe Girardi is that much better. And... You know, I'd make Brian my pitching coach and go with Girardi as my as my manager, but that's not going to happen. They couldn't afford Girardi, number one, and they're not going to pay. You know, he's probably going to be making five, six million dollars, and they're not going to pay a manager that amount of money. All right, so there's a lot of free agents, uh, two free agents on the Indians. I, what do I want to say on their their horizon that they they have to talk about? We're going to talk about that coming up here in just a little bit. But let's switch over to the Reds. What do the Reds have to do in order to get into the sweepstakes that the Yankees were in, the Red Sox, the Cubs, the Nationals? Everybody was this year in getting into postseason play. What do the Reds have to do? All they have to do, Dave, they don't have to add anybody to their 40-man roster. I, I really believe that. All they have to do is stay healthy. Now, that has not happened over the last three years. They've been very unhealthy. But if we're, if they were to stay healthy, they, they have the, the pitching staff, uh, the pitching arms, talent, to be very competitive. The, the question is, can you keep these guys off the DL? Can, can Joey Votto have another year like he did this year? I think Joey Votto is going to have years like this uh, for the next four or five years. 
uh, he is locked in, and pitchers can't get him out. And he has the kind of swing that is not going to deteriorate with age. He, he's, he's so quick to the ball, and he chokes up. Uh, and unless something he he's befallen by you know a serious injury, this guy is going to be he, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And that's what people don't realize how good this guy is. Yes, the answer to your question is yes, and, and I think they can build around him offensively. But you know, with the Reds' current roster, they can be competitive with with good starting pitching, and, and they've got the pitchers. You know, I've already I've already got my my team made out for next year, and this is assuming they don't go into the free agent market, and they, and they may or may not. But if you had a, a healthy rotation of Homer Bailey, Brandon Finnegan. Luis Castillo, who I think could be uh, a superstar, Anthony DiScafani, and Robert Stevenson. I mean, that's that's a pretty good starting rotation if they're healthy. And then my bullpen, I would have Tyler Maley, Amir Garrett, Sal Romano, Wandy Peralta, Kevin Shackelford, uh, Michael Lorenzen, Rocio Iglesias, and Cody Reed. And, and a backup there would be Rookie Davis. I mean, if these guys are healthy, that's a very solid bullpen, and it's a very good rotation. But if any of those guys in the starting rotation get hurt, you've then got to move up somebody from that bullpen I mentioned into starting rotation, and that's where things start getting a little dicey. All right, let's look at Votto's stats as compared to his MVP year of 2010. When you look at his that year, he had 37 homers, 113 RBIs, he walked 91 times, batted 324, had an on-base percentage of 424, and an OPS of 1.024. Mark, his slugging percentage that year was 600. He was 26. This year, he's 33. He played in 162 games this year for only the second time in his career. In that 2010 season, he did that all over 150 games. Now, in the last three years, Mark, he's played 158 twice and 162 this year. His home run stats, 36, one less than in 2010. His RBI stats, 100, 13 less. He he walked 134 times, Mark. That is That is amazing when you look at the fact that that is 42 times more than what he did in 2010. He only struck out 83 times this year. 83. That is the least amount that he has ever struck out in Major League Baseball, with the exception of one, and that was the 2014 season when he only played in 62 games. 83 times he struck out. His batting average was four points lower than 210, than 2010. 320 this year. 454 on base percentage, which was above, 30 points above what he had in 2010. His OPS, 1.32. His slugging percentage, 578. The guy was amazing, and he probably will not get any consideration for National League MVP at all. Oh, I think he will. I think he'll finish second or third. Do you really? Yeah, I do. Uh, you, you can't overlook what this guy has done. And you look over the last two years. I mean, last year, he had 326. His batting average over the last three years is 314, 326, 320, which means he's averaging exactly 320 over the last three years. Mm-hmm. And that is the highest average in Major League Baseball over a three-year period. And he, he's what he does that is so crazy is he combines power with on-base percentage. And that is, that's an unusual combination. And his, his, every statistic was at or near a, or bested a career high, but he is over the, excuse me, the last three years. Well, in 2014, he had 255, but he was injured. Yeah. That's the year he played so only that, 62 games. But if you take out that year, Dave, take out, uh, 2000, what did I say, 2014. Yeah. Here are his batting averages. Oh, amazing. 321, 297, 322, 324, 309, 337, 305, 314, 326, and 320. There is no better hitter in baseball. And you and I have had this debate about who is the greatest hitter in Reds history. 
and I've heard this debate now getting more and more legs. Well, of course, you have Frank Robinson. To me, he, he was you know, a great hitter. He didn't have these numbers consistently. And he didn't, you know, he struck out a lot. And he, he was a, he was a great player. Frank Robinson was my favorite player. But you look at what this guy has done, what Vado has done, and he's probably going to play. He could play another eight or nine years. He, he's he's in great shape. He, he plays a position that he could play into his his forties, and he wants to play. And he wants to say he said after the season, they asked him if he wanted to be traded, and he said no. He said I want to own every record in Reds baseball history. Hmm. That's his goal. He wants to have every record. And the only one he may have trouble getting is the RBIs. He may not have enough time to get RBIs, but uh, everything else he could. Mark, when you look at that strikeout total, 83, I'm going to put this into comparison with Tony Gwynn. Now, this is not fair, but I want to give everybody an idea of what Tony Gwynn actually did as a hitter during his lifetime. He came up in 1982. He retired in 2001. He played 20 years. Do you know over his career, Mark, he only struck out 434 times in over 20 years. What is that, an average of 25 a year strikeouts? Yeah, yeah 25. I mean, the most that he had, Mark, when you look at these totals, the most strikeouts he had in one year, Mark, this is Tony Gwynn, 40. And he had one of his lowest batting averages that year, 313. And I think he won six batting titles. Is that what I remember? Yeah, something. Yeah, six batting titles. The, the, the difference between he and Votto is that Votto hits a lot more home runs, right? And he and he drives in more runs. But Gwen, I mean, taking nothing away from Tony Gwen, he was a fantastic hitter, one of the great hitters of all time in the Hall of Fame. But you know, Votto's numbers stack up. You know, he's, he's hitting number three, you know, for the team, and he's he plays great. He had a great defensive year. We haven't talked about this. He played great defense because he set his mind to it during the offseason. He had a bad year in his mind defensively in 2016. So here's a guy going to the Hall of Fame. He's an all-star four times, I think. He went to spring training or went to Arizona for a month to work with one of the Reds infield coaches to get better on defense. I mean, this guy has a tremendous work ethic. He wants to be not just good. He wants to be super good. And that you can't, you can't instill that. It's either in your gut or it ain't. And it's in his gut. He wants to be the best. And when I heard him say it, they interviewed him. I forget what show it was. And when he made the statement that no, he doesn't want to be traded because he wants to set every record in Reds baseball history. And he didn't say it in a cocky way. He said it in a very pragmatic way. That's mm-hmm. what I want to do with my life. I want to have every record in, in Reds history. And he's got a shot for it. And so I hope the Reds don't trade him. They can build around him. And this guy, he'll hit. He'll hit into his 40s. I mean, he, he just will. He, he's got that kind of swing. Now, he may not hit for power, but he'll hit you 315, 320, falling out of bed. All right, now before we get back into the Indians, what do the Reds need? You just mentioned it, and this is one of the things I was going to bring up tonight, and you mentioned it. What do the Reds have to do to build around Joey Votto? He is the type of guy you can build around. What do the Reds need? Well, the biggest decision the Reds have to make this year is what they're going to do with with Zach Cozart. And if they let him go, um, I'm not opposed to that. I mean, this is a guy who hit 25 home runs or 24 home runs this year. Uh, He's a good shortstop. Uh, he's not a great shortstop, but he's a good one, very solid. You hit a ground ball to him, it's an out. But do the Reds want to go out and get somebody else? Uh, that's going to be the question to build around Votto. And the, the, the thing I've noticed in the playoffs, Dave, in answer to your question in kind of a long-winded way, the Reds' lineup yet does not compare to the Indians. It doesn't compare to the Yankees or, or certainly the Dodgers. That's a, that's a huge lineup. And, and Houston, the same thing. I mean, their eighth and ninth, or seventh and eighth hitters, or the, Houston, their ninth hitter, I mean, these, these guys could hit number three or four for a lot of teams. They're, they're that good. Same with the Cubs. So the Reds have to lengthen the lineup, and they have to get more consistency. They strike out too much. So if you're looking to add somebody, I don't know where you put them with this current lineup. 
because you've got so much youth on this team, do you say to Jesse Winker and to Shebler, nah, we're going to go with another right fielder? I don't think so. So I, I don't know where you, you you bring somebody else in. I don't see a position player coming in. I just don't. What do I you see them? What do you see the future plans for Peraza being? Oh, I, I think he's going to be a second baseman. I mean, I think that's what, what you have to do with him, which means what are you going to do with Scooter Jeanette? Exactly. So do, do you do you trade at his at his peak? I mean, a lot of teams would be interested in Scooter Jeanette, but I don't think he's the guy that that, that you can. He's not good defensively. He's he, I think he's he's a below average defensive player. But, but, and, but Peraza is a, a below-average shortstop. So you have to make some decisions with your roster, and I think what the Reds are going to do, they may trade Adam Duvall, they may trade Jeanette, and maybe package those guys for a big-time starter. They could do that. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me. And then you move Shevler to left field and put Winker in right. I, I, I think Winker, he showed me this guy can hit. This, this, this dude, he's got a beautiful swing, and he's going to be around for a while. He's arrogant. He's cocky. He thinks he's, he's he's the best player out there, which I love to see. And he's not intimidated. He hit seven or eight home runs this year in a, in a short. You know, I, I think they pointed out if he played the whole year, he'd hit twenty five or thirty home runs. That's that's pretty damn good. And this guy, he's got a great eye. And you want to cause some havoc. Uh, for the red, for Reds opponents, have Winker hit in front of Botto. <laughs> because seriously, because they both have a great eye, uh, and, and Winker's not get on base a lot. Botto's not get on base a lot. What I wish they would go get is maybe less of a power hitter like Duvall hitting fourth, but a contact hitter, a guy who's only going to strike out seventy five or eighty times like Botto. I don't care if he gets singles or doubles. He's going to drive in a lot of runs because you're going to have guys on base in front of that, that hitter. And I'm not sure Duvall. Duvall should have had 150 RBIs this year, and he got 99. Yeah. So I, I think the Reds will trade one of their stud bats. Well, they're going to trade. They're going to trade Cozart for sure, or, or let him go to free agency, and they'll get a they'll get a sandwich pick for that in, in the first round. And then I think they're going to trade Duvall and to probably trade uh, Scooter Jeanette. Because they hit a lot of home runs this year, what, 220 home runs this year, but they finished last. So look for them to get rid of two big bats to get a couple arms to back up that pitching staff. And I wish they'd go get one position player who could hit 300 behind Votto. So you think they're going to move Suarez to, to shortstop? That That's your yeah. feeling? Yeah, Suarez to short. Uh, and they could br- go get a third baseman then, or bring up the kid. Senzel? You know? Yeah. I mean, that that's a possi- possibility. You this think he... pre- Oh, yeah, this guy, I saw him play, Dave. This guy, he's, he's the best natural hitter I've seen come up in that team in the last 15, 20 years. I can't remember the last guy who was had that much advancement in terms of hitting. And he's, and he's, he's filling out, he's hitting some power. Now, the question is, you want to bring him up too soon and have him overwhelmed up in the big leagues. But, uh, you know, the, the, the Reds have some talent. And if they if they can stay healthy, I'm telling you, that they, they could be competitive with just one or two moves. They don't have to redo this roster. They can, they can make one or two moves and completely change the complexion of this team. But i got to say, I love Duvall because <laughs> he's a good defensive player. People underrate his defense. But, man, you put this guy in the American League, I think he'd hit 50 home runs. You know, one player I have not heard you mention, and you've been talking about this guy almost all year long, both positively and negatively, Billy Hamilton. What are they going to do with Billy Hamilton? Well, again, Billy Hamilton is probably one of the most exciting players in baseball. But he's been on the team for four years. The Reds have finished last, or next to last, in four years. So whatever he brings to the team, it's not been enough to make them a winner. He's got he's got a 290 or 295 on base percentage. Uh, he hits 250. He'll steal you 50 bases, but so what? You know, if you're if you're not getting any production, I just wish they would either decide 
to sign him long term and, and say, okay, you're our center fielder, and and accept it, or trade high again. This guy, I think, could get could fetch you, uh, you know, a, a really good player from somewhere. It's a pitcher or a, a fielder, but I, I'm up and down on Billy Hamilton. He's I'd love to see him play sometimes, especially on defense. But the Reds aren't winning with him at the top of the order. Mm-hmm. And if they, if they if they can go out and get some guys who are contact hitters, uh, I don't care if they hit 35 or 40 home runs because they're striking out 200 times. So what? I mean, Shevler hit 30 home runs this year, and he is helpless at the plate most of the year. They'll go through a two-week stretch to hit six or seven home runs, but you can't depend on him. All right. What about? Let's go back to the pitchers. What about Finnegan? Well, I just read an article today about him, and he says he's one hundred percent healthy. This guy had two shoulder surgeries this past year, left and right arm. So he's he's he says he's back, and if and if he is, uh, he was supposed to be, you know, number two or three in that rotation this year. So if he comes back, the Reds have a chance to be pretty competitive. That's right. I mean, that's a that's a big if, though, because Mark, when you look at look at him, I mean, they were depending upon him to be almost the ace of this staff this year, and he pitched the opening weekend, and then after that, you barely saw him again. That's right. He came back from surgery, and in his, in, I think his, he went he went on the DL in April, came back in June, pitched three innings against the Cardinals and hurt the same thing, his, his left arm again. And then when he was on rehab for that, he fell out of a boat and hurt his shoulder, his, his, his non-throwing shoulder, had surgery on that. So both of those surgeries apparently were successful. But, you know, you can't depend on him. The same with Homer Bailey and Di Sclafani. So you really have to take a dice roll are we going to go out there and trade some of our position players for some some pitching, and, and have somebody who can throw 200 innings and stabilize the the, the rotation, which Bronson Arroyo was supposed to do, and that didn't work. I thought that was the dumbest trade or dumbest signing. You know my feelings on that. Yeah. But but nonetheless, you know the Reds. When you look at that roster, if they can stay healthy, they've got the talent to do it. Now, we, we haven't even talked about what's in the low minors. The Reds have a pretty damn deep uh, low minor league uh, array of talent, starting with Hunter Green. <clears throat> but he's he's three years away. Mm-hmm. I mean, this kid, you know, he's only 18 years. He just turned 18 years old. They gave him $7.5 million, so he better be good. Mm-hmm. But the, the next couple of years are going to be, I think they'll be improving years. I see the Reds, you know, Right now, if nothing else changed, I think they could finish third or fourth in the division next year. I I know a right-handed pitcher, Mark, that would love to get away from the team that he is with, and probably the team that he is with would love to get away from him. I'm going to throw this name out at you here in just a moment, but I want to ask you this question about the Indians before I get to that one. Talk about a tease. You know, I asked on Facebook a week ago, if you could only choose one player, Carlos Santana or Jay Bruce, who would you sign if you were the Indians? I was shocked at the amount of people that came back, Mark, and told me Carlos Santana. I thought Jay Bruce would win this thing hands down, but the Indian fans are saying no. They want Carlos Santana instead of Jay Bruce. I feel completely the opposite. I want Jay Bruce. I think Jay Bruce had an outstanding year. He was big in that lineup this season, and now I'm understanding that the Indians' front office has said they are open to bringing Jay Bruce back, and Jay Bruce is open to coming back to the Indians. So I hope that is that comes to fruition. But do we want to well, keep Carlos Santana too? Yeah, I think those. I, in my opinion, they'll probably keep both of them. I hope so. Uh, I, I, I see a way to do that, but you know the Indians. Don't forget, they won what 102 games this year. Yeah, <laughs> I mean they're doing something right. So I, I don't think that they they need to sign Jay Bruce, but I think he fits well into that organization aside from what he does on the field. And he's a stabilizing force in, in the clubhouse. 
He's a good guy. He's a frustrating player, though. Indian fans, be forewarned. He will go into these funks where he'll go over 23 and strike out 17 times. It, 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 just, it drives you insane because he looks like he has so much talent. And that's the downside. It's inconsistency. And if you can live with a guy hitting 255 and hitting 30 home runs, there's certainly a place you know, for a Jay Bruce. But uh, you'd have to decide how he fits into that that, that 25-man uh, lineup, basically. You know what? You know, all I heard during the the playoffs was how the Indians took over the entire contract, what was remaining of it, for Jay Bruce. And the Yankees would, and, and that is the reason that the Indians got Jay Bruce instead of the New York Yankees. What were the Yankees going to do with Jay Bruce? They, they're, they're stocked in the outfield. They've got Gardner in left, Hicks in center, and they're not going to move Judge out of right field. What were they going to do with this guy? Uh, I think he, he's depth. A lot of teams now are going to a four-man rotation in the outfield. And there's certainly – he's a guy that can come off the bench. Uh, he can start three or four games a week. And, you know, he's, he's playing good defense. He can, he can DH. He can probably even play first base. So there, there's some – I see why they could do that. Uh, he's, he's a senior guy. He, he's been around for a while. Um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, surprise me that they would be looking at him. And I don't know if he's he's going to be there long term, but I, yeah, I can see I can see how they might consider a trade. Ten, ten years in the league, he's thirty. He'll be thirty one in December. Mark, here's his career average over one hundred and sixty two games: thirty two home runs, ninety six RBIs. But here's the problem: he's got a two forty nine batting average lifetime over one hundred and sixty two game season. This is the average out. The reason that you don't hear about Jay Bruce being one of the top outfielders in the game because of those numbers, his strikeout total. He averages 158 strikeouts for every 162 games that he plays. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty interesting. Um, what do you think, in terms of what you see as their 25-man roster, who brings more value to the organization, Jay Bruce or Santana? Boy, that that's a toughie because they they're almost although they don't play the same positions. Uh, Santana can rotate between first and and DH and even the outfield. They've played him in the outfield before. He can also play third base in a pinch, you know. But then you've got Jay Bruce who can play all three outfield positions, and like you said, he could DH and he could even play first base if needed. I like the versatility that Bruce brings to this lineup, and he lengthens it out like you talked about earlier with the Reds lineup. I mean, it allows you to move Santana to six in the order, and it puts protection in behind Encarnacion of a left-handed batter there right behind him, whom, by the way, another Cincinnati Red that they, they let go, Encarnacion. Uh, and then it allows you, like I said, to put Santana sixth. The guy who I'm really concerned about and I'm up in the air about, Mark, is Michael Brantley. Uh, two seasons in a row this guy has gotten hurt and his season has ended prematurely and he hasn't really been able. He was on the playoff roster, which I didn't agree with. There were a couple of moves that Francona made with this roster that I think were, I think he led himself with his heart instead of his head. And I think Michael Brantley was one of those. Now, did it turn out? It, some people will say it was a good thing that he was on the roster because of the way Encarnacion got hurt and was out for the middle three games. I, Brantley was not ready to play. And, I mean, you you saw the games, Mark. He was not the same hitter at the plate. Yeah. And it's because he, he hadn't played for the last two months of the season with that ankle injury. The Indians have got to make a decision on Michael Brantley. I think that's their big guy that they've got to make a decision on. Now, he's he's under contract for the next two years, but i I, I got to tell you, if I can get both Jay Bruce and Carlos Santana at a combined $30 million, I think i do it. Well, some interesting things you brought up, um, getting back into the Reds' plans for next year. Uh, I read, I guess it was yesterday morning, that one of the Reds' trade partners 
there were two that they considered uh, likely or possible. One was to trade for Christian Yelich from Miami hmm. uh, as their center fielder. At the same time, move Billy Hamilton, and the team that they felt most likely he would go to would be the San Francisco Giants, that they could use his speed and defense in center field. And I can see that kind of move, like a two- or three-team involvement, where the Reds pick up a very good center fielder and, and a better hitter than Billy Hamilton, not as good defensively and certainly not an, the same amount of speed. But, you know, I can see the Reds doing something like that to increase the consistency, fewer strikeouts. But if they're going to, if they're going to make a big move, I, I don't think Billy Hamilton brings back enough. I don't think he's valuable enough to bring back something of real value. You're going to have to trade, um, you know, one of your star outfielders, which is going to be Adam Duvall. I think Duvall is the guy who could be traded. And that, I think he brings back a lot more than Billy Hamilton. All right, here's the question. I teased this earlier, but there's a pitcher in baseball that would love to get away from the team that he is with, and I think the team that he is with would love to get rid of him. And I'm going to throw this name out at you, and you tell me if... Well, give me the team first, if I can guess who the pitcher is. The New York Mets. Oh, God. Uh, there's quite a few pitchers. Matt Harvey. Um, Matt Harvey. Uh, yeah, but would you, I don't know. That's the question. Do you want to take on an attitude like Matt Harvey's got? I don't know. Uh, that that that's a, he's got a the old saying the million dollar arm and the ten cent brain. So uh, that that that's that depends who you get. Which is right, Billy Hamilton. Well, I mean, yeah. What I think the Mets are ready to dissolve this entire team and start over from scratch. Now, does that mean they're going to start over with their entire pitching staff? I don't know. You know, you've heard Girardi going to the Mets. I heard the Mets were interested in Mickey Calloway, the Indians' pitching coach, because they want him to tutor this staff that they've got now, and they're interested in bringing him in as a manager, which another couple of rumors that I have heard means that if Calloway leaves the Indians, John Farrell is a free agent. He got fired from Boston, which for the life of me, Mark, I can't understand what Boston's thinking. But that's another story. Why you get rid of a manager who's won two straight division titles? The only time, and this is hard to believe, it's the only time Farrell has actually won three straight division titles. I'm sorry. It's the only time a Red Sox manager has ever won three straight division titles, and they fire the guy. And didn't he win a World Series? Yeah, won a World Series, too. <laughs> and they fire the guy. But he would become the Indians' pitching coach, or they would go to California with the Angels and pull up Charlie Nagy and bring him in as their new pitching coach. But, you know, I'm hearing Mickey Calloway. I'm also hearing Alex Cora as the new manager of the Red Sox. Uh, he's the Houston Astros bench coach now. You know, a guy that I don't think ever gets any play as far as being a manager is the bench coach of the Chicago Cubs with Joe Madden, and that's Dave Hernandez. Or, uh, 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 yeah, Dave Hernandez. Well, all those guys are, you know, th their profiles are going to be raised significantly because of the success of the teams they're, they're, they're with. So, but you're right with the Indians. And then, then you have the Reds have the same manager who's finished last three years out of four and then fourth the other year, uh, and they're keeping him there. So it's a different mentality. Uh, the Reds organization, I hope the rumors I'm hearing are true, that they're going to be aggressive in, in international signing. They're, they're, they're going to spend some money this year. I hope it's true because they are reaching that point where, you know, it's not that the fans get mad at the organization, they just don't care. Here's the word, apathy. It's apathy. And, you know, I was looking at their schedule next year. Talk about a tough way to open the season. Three games against Washington and two games against the Cubs. Those are their first five games. Yeah, I'm looking at it, too. And they open up on March 29th, a yeah. Thursday, and, and against the Nationals, Dusty Baker coming home. Mark, could that series between the Cubs and the Nationals been any closer? I don't know. I thought I really wanted Dusty to win that. I did too. I, I did. I mean, I think a lot of people did, and uh, I wouldn't say he was outmanaged, but he, you know, he, Joe Madden is just 
I really love the guy. I mean, to me, he is the face of of a new era of baseball, even though he looks like he's about 100 sometimes. Reminds me of Sparky Anderson. He looks old. But he's so innovative. And what he does with his team, with his teams and his players, he treats them like pros. Uh, he, He said, you know, my rule is I don't have any rules. He said, you guys are grown men. You're adults. You come in when you think you should. Uh, I don't care. We, you know, you can come here an hour before the game starts, three hours. I don't care. As long as you give it to me on the field, you produce, uh, we're, we're good. And the players love to play for him. Uh, the guys in Florida love playing for him. And he's, he's, he, he does things. He takes chances and he doesn't care that it's, it's not the norm. And that's what really ticks me off about Brian Price. He, he doesn't take chances. He, he, he just plays everything by the book. And it could be that he was never a manager before. I don't know. I re- but it's very frustrating when you, when you see him manage day after day. I remember one game this year, Mark, that Joe Madden had four catchers in the lineup. One was playing first base, one was catching, and the other two were in the outfield. I remember a game he had four outfielders in the outfield against Joey Votto. Yeah. And Votto doubled down the right line. <laughs> anyway... You know, he, he does stuff like that. And he's the guy who put, was it five infielders on the right side of the infield again in a, in a, with a winning run at third base? I mean, he, he's not afraid to, to do weird stuff. And, and so far, well, the, the Dodgers are right now beating the snot out of the Cubs. But I, I think the Dodgers and Houston is going to be a great World Series if it ends up that way. And I, it, it looks like it might. Is that, that's who you're picking? Yeah, I, you know, I know you were in the in the Nationals corner from the very beginning. That that was a heartbreaking loss for the Nationals. And you know the thing about it is, Mark, that game five where they ended up losing it by one run, they never quit. They never gave up in that game, and they were down big. <clears throat> yeah, they were what down eight to three, I think, and came back and lost nine to eight. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's a great team and. I don't know. Again, it's the same thing, Dave. We're talking about the Indians. I think the two best teams in baseball are Washington and Cleveland. And they're not going to be in the World Series. I'll tell you, that uh, that Houston team is really something else, though. Yeah, they, they are really good, and they're really young. Yeah. And and when you watch Houston, I mean, the Yankees are a young, talented team, but Houston, they're so, they're, they're, they're so fast and they're so quick. And the defense is so good. The pitching staff is outrageous. Uh, they're, you know, Hitch let him go nine innings at Verlander the other day. And that, to me, that's old time baseball. I mean, that, that's, <laughs> that, okay, here's the ball. Go stick the ball up the rear ends. That's you know what, what did. you know what that reminded me of? Jack Morris in the World Series with Minnesota. Yeah, I remember that. That, yeah. that's what it, re- in game seven of the World Series, and he pitched them to a two to one victory in ten innings, and he would not let Tom Kelly, Tom Kelly, the manager at the time of the Twins, take him out of that ball game. Yeah, and it made made him a legend. It really did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you know, you can't go anywhere nowadays, especially in Minnesota, when people don't bring up that Jack Morris game. It's it's unbelievable. But it, it, Mark, there there's some other things. I I got to tell you, this blocking the plate bull crap. Yeah, is yeah. getting ridiculous. And that call that they made on the Cubs the other day, that Joe Madden went absolutely ballistic, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. And, and you know, I know they're trying to keep these players from being hurt, but there are times, Mark, where you just cannot protect the players from themselves. And quit trying to do it. Well, the way you, if you want to get around it, if you want to get around it, it's easy to do, and it changes a fundamental rule of the game. You make a play at the plate a force out. It eliminates the problem. Just like first base. Oh, I'd hate that. Well, but it eliminates the problem. That's the, that's the way you could go if you're so concerned about the players getting hurt. You could make it a force out at home. It changes, but it's, it's, it's the same change for everybody. The catcher becomes the first baseman, basically. That eliminates the problem. If, you, if, if you're going to have the subjective evaluation where the players, the coaches, the managers, the runners, the rule is so interpretive. You, you could, you could, you could make it 
interpretate interpret that thing five different ways. Yeah, you could. Depending on where you are in the field, and that's the problem. So the way you eliminate it, you make it a force at home. All right. That's all. Let me ask you this question, which is one of the questions that I wanted to bring up tonight, but we've led into it very perfectly. If you could make one change in Major League Baseball, just one. I'm making you Rob Manfred right now. You don't even have to be Rob. You can be Mark, and you could be the commissioner of baseball. You can make one change unilaterally to the game. What is that change? I would make the time between innings go from two minutes and 30 seconds to a minute and 30 seconds. Interesting. Because you would knock off almost a half an hour. Well, you knock off more than a half an hour off every game. Right. I'd simply charge more for the ads to make up the difference. Right. Well, that, and that's not even baseball doing that. That would be, you know, the stations, the teams, whatever. I mean, it, you know, that that's that's not cutting into the revenue of the teams. Oh no, not the teams, but you could. But even the sponsors could. I mean, the, the stations and everybody could charge more. Right. For the time to make up for the loss of, of minutes, but that to me would be that would make baseball. You would knock off a half hour at least on every game, and uh, even if you knocked it down thirty seconds, it, it, you could easily knock off twenty-five to thirty minutes per game. I think that would change baseball. All right, my my argument would be not to that, but my change would be get rid of the ball strike calls for the home plate umpire. That they are too subjective. They have their own strike zone. They don't listen. To, they don't go by the the rule book. And in watching Lance Diaz and Angel Hernandez all year long call ball strikes behind the plate, they are terrible at it. There is no continuity from one one home plate umpire to the next. Just put that crazy box in there and call it all by computer. Well, that's going to happen, and that, that's inevitable. It's going, to, it's going to happen. It won't happen next year, maybe the next three or four years, but it will happen. And you could you could easily make it foolproof by having not just the box uh, the way it is. You, you, you have to adjust the box for the size of the player. Right. So that, that takes a little, it's a little more complicated how you do that. But you could have it coming down. You could have it from side to side and straight on. So the strike is a strike. If, if it, it has those parameters, it's a strike. But I don't know how you adjust it unless every player's strike zone is defined mathematically. And that sounds complicated, but you and I would have a different strike zone. I'm six two and a half, and you're five ten. So we would <laughs> on have a good day. <laughs> I'm giving you. you the benefit of the doubt. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> But we, we would have different strike zones, but it's no more than a statistic that you define your strike zone, and whatever that is, that would be the one that computer would, you know, type in, basically. Well, about four and, or five months ago, I saw on Real Sports with Brian Gumbel on, on HBO, Mark, he had a segment on there where they were actually doing this in Montana in one of the instructional leagues. They were testing it out, and they were changing the box to suit every batter, and basically the, the home plate umpire had an earpiece in his ear, and there was a guy up in the up in the booth that would just whisper in the umpire's ear, ball, strike, ball, strike, and the umpire would still call it, but he was getting the ball strike calls from the guy watching the, the box upstairs, and they were adjusting it for each batter. So it can be done. It's, the, the technology is there. Oh, sure, and the only difference I would do... I would say I would have the ball strike appear on the scoreboard, mm-hmm. so the fans would see it instantaneously. Yeah, and you couldn't argue with it. You know, it would, it's a done deal, and, and the players could see it, and they could see their own zone, and it, it would it would take out all the arguments and bullshit. I mean, it's 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 so maddening when you're a hitter, and I've been a hitter and a pitcher. It's much more frustrating when you're called out on a pitch that is not a strike. That to me was far worse than when I was pitching and I thought I threw a strike and he called it a ball. Eh, I got a little ticked, but I, I would get very upset when I took a pitch, especially a you know two-strike pitch, which I knew was a ball. It was usually outside. That's where they miss. They miss outside. And <laughs> that's when you want to take the bat and smack the umpire upside the head. But 
that would be eliminated by that kind of, uh, of technology, which is it's a fait accompli. It is going to happen. Yeah, it, it is definitely going to happen. And, and you know what? They may even get rid of the first base umpire, too. I'm sorry, Dave. I, I didn't said hear that. they may even get rid of the first base umpire, too. Yeah, I mean, that would be easy to do. I mean, that's, that's a no-brainer. They've got that down pat. The, the question is, can you do that uh, in the minor leagues? Is it, is, is, is it going to be cost-effective for minor leagues? Uh, I, I would think it would be. I mean, I would think the technology, once it's paid for, would be cheaper to operate than paying umpires. Do you? Th- yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm surprised that baseball has stayed with the minor league system the way it is. I mean, some of these teams have five or six minor league teams, and you know, I'm surprised they haven't contracted that somewhat. Yeah, uh, and, and college provides a, another minor league level yeah, for the, the pros too. And I'm surprised they haven't looked at that as a, in a different way than than they are. But you know, some of these college baseball programs are just as sophisticated, if not more so, than, than the, even some of the AAA teams. I mean, you know, Arizona State, the University of Arizona, and UCLA, and the Florida schools. I mean, you're, you're playing in minor league baseball at that point. Yeah, yeah, you really are. Mark, what, in your eyes, what is it going to take now? I mean, we've talked about the apathy and everything else with the Reds. What are what kind of a move are they going to have to make in order to get the fans to believe that this team is actually going to be a contender next year? Well, I think it, a lot is going to be dependent on how this team starts off next year. And then if the Reds, say at the All-Star break, make a move, a definitive move, they go after a Verlander or somebody like that that can, can get them over the top. But as you well know, and the Indians are a perfect example of this, you don't rebuild the fan base in one year. It takes time for them to come back and to – I mean, Dave, some of these kids who are Reds fans, they say they were Reds fans five years ago. Well, they've been through four consecutive years of losing, uh, supporting a losing team, and they 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 don't care. Yeah, they they they've lost interest. They're they're into soccer, or they're into something else rather than watching a major league team because the team's no good. So these teams who make this decision to rebuild, uh, somebody either isn't doing the math, or they're not thinking far enough ahead. Because if this team loses for a couple more years. You're going to lose a generation of potential fans. So you don't think that there's anything that the Reds can do during the off season that would provide excitement for the the fans? Oh, I think there's a lot they could do. I just don't think they will. Okay. I, I don't think they will do what it takes. They're going to rely on this rebuild thing, and they're going to stay the course, and they're going to keep their current roster or, or a lot of it. Again, I, I would trade Duvall. I would trade. I, I would not sign Cozart. I, I would go out and get some. I get this this Yelich kid from my, Miami. I think he'd be a great addition to the Reds. Put him in center field. Let him, let him play. Is he as fast as Billy? No. Will he steal sixty bases? No. But he's a better hitter. And imagine Yelich and Winker and Vado back to back to back. Holy cow! I mean, that would be that. That would be something they could do. And I, it, it, what they could do is trade a Duvall or somebody else or Shepler and get a good young pitcher. Maybe it's Matt Harvey. I don't know. They could do stuff, Dave, but they won't. <laughs> that's that's my fear. Well, and I think, you know, as far as the Indians are concerned, they have provided a tremendous amount of excitement this year with the 22-game winning streak and winning the division again and getting 102 wins, and they've virtually got everybody coming back, Mark. I mean, we're not even talking about arbitration this year with a lot of the players. They've just got a couple of players that are eligible for arbitration. I think the Indians' big dilemma, and I think this is a huge dilemma that a lot of people aren't even talking about, what do they do with Jason Kipnis? Do they leave him at second base and move Jose Ramirez back to third? Or do they keep Jason Kipnis in center field and you saw the play that he made against the Yankees in game two. What a heck of a catch that was for a guy that had never played center field at the major league level prior to three weeks 
before that catch, before he made that catch, Mark. Yeah, I know, Dave, but wait a minute. Uh, you're right. I saw that catch. And Billy Hamilton has that in his hip pocket. Well, there's I mean, a big difference the, between the speed of Billy Hamilton and Kipnis. Well, that's my point. A, a, a big league center fielder, that's an easy catch. It's not an easy catch for a guy who's used to playing the infield. So look at the Indians. What would they do with a Billy Hamilton? Uh, if he was on the roster, he'd be a defensive replacement. Well, that you know, you know, I've had this debate about Billy Hamilton all year. Well, and you value him more than I do. I, I value him more than you do. But the thing about it is, they've got Bradley Zimmer now, and Zimmer would have been a big part of this team in the playoffs had it not been for him uh, breaking his hand, diving into first base during one of the final games of the regular season. And that that is the reason that Kipnis was out in center field, was because Zimmer was out of the lineup due to that broken hand. But the question with the Indians, I mean, you've got Yandy Diaz, who I thought should have been on the major league roster, but instead they kept Urshela up and played him at third base. They've got two third basemen in Urshela and Diaz that could take over that position right now. Ramirez is a better second baseman than Kipnis is. Ramirez is probably a better hitter than Kipnis is. But Kipnis is probably going to be a better hitter than Urshela. The only other thing I can think of, Mark, is they may move Kipnis to third base, and that would help out the defense a little bit. I don't know. I, you know, And Kipnis could be a guy that they trade. It, it's a possibility that they could trade him during this offseason. They've got some decisions to make on this team, especially with Jay Bruce, Carlos Santana. And like I said, a lot of people aren't even talking about Kipnis and what they've got to do with him. Okay, what would you, who would you give the Reds for Scooter Jeanette? How about Trevor Bauer? No. No. Um, I might, uh, you know what, I, I don't think I'd give you anybody because we don't need Scooter Jeanette. We've got a, we've got a plethora of, of infield talent the way it is. I, okay, I, what would you, how about Suarez? Same thing? Um, now that's a different story because you could put him at third base. And, oh, but Jeanette played third base. Uh, but Jeanette is. I think he's a better third baseman than he is a second baseman. But Jeanette's also thirty-two, isn't he? I don't know how old he is. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's the question. I no, I'm not I'm not sold on Scooter Jeanette being that kind of a player year after year after year. I'm sold on Suarez being the type of player. Now Suarez is a different story. I may give you Salazar for Suarez, and he would be he would be your your uh, your ace immediately. Yeah, that's the kind of deal I think the Reds are going to make. I think they have to make that deal. Somebody like that, where they they need that number one pitcher or, or two guys that could you know come in at one and three or something like that. You ask what the Reds can do; they can do a lot. But the question is, are they going to do it? And I don't think they will. Mark, as we wind down tonight's show and the the show for the season, you know, we've done this now for seven years, and it's been a lot of fun. Any particular memories during the last seven years, not just about the show, but about the Reds and the Indians that, that stick out in your mind? Well, obviously, the Reds have had some success early on in our in our stint, they, they won in 10, 11, and 12. And I, I think the highlight was for me, uh, Joey, or not Joey Votto, uh, Jay Bruce hitting the home run against Houston to win the division. Uh, that, that was, that was a hopeful time for the Reds organization that things were going to continue to get better and better and better. And it did for a while. It, it, you know, they, they didn't do anything after 10 and they should have. Uh, but they won in, in, uh, was it? 13 and 14, they, they went to the playoffs. So those things stand out for me, and I'm sure, you know, as you look at what the Indians have accomplished, their, you know, their future is still ahead of them. I mean, I, the Indians can be a winner for the next 10 years, and that, if I were you, and I was an Indians fan, I would take that uh, as solace for the disappointment of this year. Mark, there's one thing that I remember during our seven years that the Indians did that I never thought that they would be able to pull off in a million years, and that was signing Terry Francona as their manager. That brought legitimacy to this front office, to me, 
just to me, and I'm not talking about the fans, but Terry Francona coming to the Indians after what he had done in Boston gave me hope, gave the Indians fans hope, and it gave legitimacy to this front office. And I think that was the most exciting thing that I've had during this tenure of doing this show over the last seven years. Yeah, and I, I, I think when we when they signed him, I was shocked. I didn't think he, I didn't think he would come to the Indians. I didn't either. So that was uh, that. You're right. By the way, Scooter Jeanette. Yeah. He's twenty. He's twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. Yeah. Now, <sighs> how about Sam? I'd how still, about Bauer? I'd, I'd I'd no. Oh come on! No, no. I would still rather have Suarez, and I wouldn't even give up Bauer for Suarez. You know, I think Bauer is on the cusp of being a great pitcher. The guy is, is now I know he, he lost it in game four. And if you recall in that game four, what happened? He got upset at the home plate umpire over ball strike calls. He can't do that, Mark, but that is when he loses focus, he loses all focus. And that's one of the things that the Indians have worked with him on is keeping his head in the ball game when stuff like this happens. And that was one case where he just, he let his emotions get the best of him. But he's getting older. He's getting better. I think he's on the cusp, Mark, of when Corey Kluber starts to go down, Trevor Bauer is going to step up, and you're going to see Bauer be the ace of the staff. Yeah, but I got a 295 hitter here. 97 RBIs, 27 home runs. And I've got a, I've got another right-handed pitcher that's 27 years old, that's on the cusp of being an ace of a staff also in Danny Salazar that the Indians may be willing to give up, or even a Mike Clevenger. Mm, I think I like Salazar better. I like his arm better. <laughs> a lot of people do. And, you know, the, that's the that's the benefit of the Indians right now is that they could make a deal like that with Salazar, and they've got a Clevenger. They've got a Ryan Merritt ready to step into that rotation and take over his spot, and they may not miss a beat, Mark. Well, that's that's the great thing about the Indians. And, uh, you know, as we look into 2018 and what's ahead for both these teams, uh, you know, the, the Reds still have a long way to go to catch up with the Indians and the Yankees and the Dodgers and Houston and Boston and these teams that, that are made the playoffs. So I'm afraid um, as we look at 2018, I don't see the Reds being competitive next year. I hope I'm wrong. But we'll revisit this in March, and depending on what happens between now and then, that, that opinion might change. March 29th is when the Reds open up at home against the Washington Nationals at Great American Ballpark. That's a Thursday, so mark it down on your calendar. The Indians open up the same day, only they're going to be out west. They're going to be in Seattle taking on the Mariners, and that's going to be a night game. They have not announced the time for the Reds' home opener against the Nationals, but the Indians on the 29th of March are going to open up with the Mariners at 10-10. So mark that down on your calendars. Mark, do you go to opening day? No. I, I like to stay home. It's kind of a tradition I have. I stay home, and uh, I'll bring in a pizza or, or two and uh, <laughs> put my feet up and you know watch the Reds open. It's always a tradition here in, in oh, the Ohio yeah. area, as you will Soon, soon learn. Yeah, I mean, and and spring training is. I mean, my gosh, Mark, spring training is what three months away? Yeah, November. Usually the middle of February. Yeah, they get they get back in control. Okay, one final question: Were you happy with the way that that Claire and Jamie locked eyes on each other last week? Yes, and he 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 kind of wimped out with him <laughs> thinking. And, you know, I think Linda expected far more, our, our resident stalker, Linda Jordan, <laughs> expected far more from Jamie, because she sees him as, as Mr. Macho Man, but, uh, you know, he, he was showing his sensitive side. Yes, and he did, and, well, if she wants to see more, she's probably going to see a lot in the episode coming up to uh, Sunday night. Oh, I'm sure. She'll, <laughs> she'll be there as as the wanton woman she is watching Jamie. Mark, it's been fun. We do this every year. I appreciate everything that you do during the past seven years, and, and we'll just keep an eye on the website, everybody, and you'll find out when we come back in March. It'll be sometime the first or second week of March, and, and uh, we'll let you know when that is. But, Mark, again, I appreciate everything that you do, and I what I mean our resident Reds expert, I really do mean it. When I say that, I mean it because you know everything that there is to know about the Reds, and and uh, hopefully everybody has enjoyed it this year because I certainly have. 
Well, thank you, David. It's been a pleasure working with you all these years, and we'll look forward to 2018. Sounds good. We'll talk to you again next year, Mark. Okay, Dave. All right, and that's going to do it for us on this Monday evening. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. And, of course, thanks for joining us throughout the entire season. It has been a pleasure to bring this to you for the past seven years, and we'll do it again next year here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Don't forget, coming up on Friday night, Roger Bacon football as they take on Fenwick. We'll be on the air at 7 o'clock with a kickoff, 6.40 with a pregame show, and Saturday, Mount St. Joseph football. They are in Anderson, 1 o'clock with the pregame show, 1.30 with the kickoff. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. This one final time in the 2017 baseball season for the final time. Have a good night, everybody. Go Reds. Go Indians. We'll see you again next March. Good night, everybody.